Hey, internet people. I am Renee, and this is Madness. Conversations during COVID lockdown. Our world has become a very different place. Some want things back the way they were. For others, it's time for big change. I invite people to tell me how they feel. Rants, solutions, advice, complaints. This is Madness. Internet listeners, here is part two of my conversation with Jeff Bellows. Um, During the conversation, I am referring to a triangle, which at that moment I could not uh, remember the name of. It is called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, which anyone is welcome to Google. Um, but here it is, part two of my conversation with Jeff Bella. There are um, there were several things that you um, spoke about that I'd love to um, uh, unpack and um, get a little deeper into, if um, if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. So now, when you graduated high school, before you before you um, um, went into the military, you said you always knew you wanted to be work a job being uh, a cognitive thinker. So, um, where did that ambition come from, and how did you know that that's where you wanted to be, or was supposed to be, or needed to be? So I think I think it's because. Like, when I was in, like, fifth or sixth grade, we took, like, the Iowa test or something for math. Oh, and, like, yeah. You see I scored, scored, like, perfect in all my math stuff. Ah, and okay. then, and then, um, then I, you know, my computer, my, my parents got, like, this, this Hewlett Packard computer. Um, and it was, it was, it was a gross computer. It was, like, a Windows 95. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was messing around with something called QBasic at the time, and I would just try to program it and try to get the the graphic to move from like left to right. I always wanted to figure out how things worked. Like you know, the like I almost had an anxiety attack because no one could explain to me like when I flip on a light, why the light actually lights up. Right. Right. So like yeah. I'm like my science teacher is like because that's just what it does like that's the function of the light bulb you flip. Is that really what your science teacher told you? And I yeah know? yeah wow. Oh, in in grade school, in grade oh, school okay. was the, the flow. It's like electricity travels through the circuit and lights up the light. I'm like that's not acceptable. What do you mean it travels through metal? What do you mean? You like I had to, you know and then I would I would go and I'd figure out okay well there's something called voltage which acts as like an like a magnet and it draws electricity through the line. It doesn't the electricity isn't pushed through the line. It's it's really pulled through by using potential differences on each side. One side's negative, one side's positive. The you know, the electricity wants to flow towards whatever side to equal out to get there. Right. And if you keep one side negative, electricity will keep flowing until it tries to make it positive, right? Or vice versa. So that's like I needed to understand those things. Like why, like, I remember I wrote a paper in eighth grade about why light can go through windows. 
Because to me, it was like, to everybody else, it was obvious. Well, it's transparent. Well, what does that mean? How, how, how can light travel through something transparent? It just does. That's not acceptable. Right. Like it's right. a material in front of it. Right. And light is traveling through it. Nobody finds this like <laughs> mind boggling. Like my, my, my brain wanted to explode because it's like, okay, if you put something in front of the window, guess what? Light doesn't travel through it. Right. Why? So I always had that, like, I was always not freaked out, but these are the kind of things that, like, not interested me, but bothered me. I guess I was bothered by them. I was like, okay, you're teaching me all this good stuff, but it doesn't explain these things I see in nature. And to me, I need to to understand why this works the way it does. Otherwise, I'm going to lose my mind. So that's that's how I knew. It was always the curiosity of, of saying, you know, all this stuff we're learning is good, but it doesn't explain this. So explain this to me. You can't explain this to me, so now I'm going to go look it up. Right. right? So um, what age did you say you were? I'm sorry, when you when your parents got a computer for you? Um, I think it might have been 11. It was a, it was it was a computer for me. It was because my dad was yeah, he was using a typewriter, uh, and then he I think he saved up enough money and got a computer to use word processor and it was like windows 95 and uh it was really it's exactly like uh, it, what you would imagine an old computer to look like uh big bulky ugly horrible graphics but he really just used it because he needed the word processor on it right um, but there were other things with it and and when he wasn't using it i would I use would the other thing yeah. yeah cool um so uh and while you're perfectly um per- it's perfectly okay if you don't want to give any specifics or e- even any general idea um i know you spoke about how tough it was to be in the service and um uh and being deployed um and you said when you got out you were angry uh, can you speak to the anger? I know you said you didn't, at first you didn't understand why you were angry. Um, has that, do you have that understanding? Do you know where that anger came from? And is it something you can speak to? Yeah, I think, uh, some of it was internalized. Some of it was, uh, anger because of, um, some of it could, for certain, for certain was anger about my situation and how I, perceived I should have been treated considering the responsibilities that I had. I, I, I want to say it felt entitled, but I was like, I can do more mm-hmm. than, than what I'm being told based on my background that I'm capable of. Like okay. when I got out, people were like, yeah, you're going to take the fireman's test. You're going to become a police officer. I was like, hell, I'll never, I never want to carry uh, you know, a loaded gun again. If I if I can help it, I will. Right. If I need to defend my nation or my neighborhood, right. if, I, if I can help it, I don't. I don't want this weapon. You know, I a weapon of war. Like I'll hunt maybe, but I don't want. I don't want to carry this and force things on people, right? But it was expected of me, like expected. So I was angry that sort of. I felt like the walls were closing in. I was also angry at just how lazy people were. Like it, like the amount of laziness I would see in my own neighborhood, and again I, I go back to like the littering, like the trash. Like right. every everybody wants to solve all these social problems and all these fiscal problems. We can't get people to pick up trash. How the hell are you going to get people 
to work together to create a better society. And we're still struggling to get people to pick up Cheeto bags. Like, I'm like, let's look at the fundamental problem here. The fundamental problem here is people don't care. People don't care and people are lazy. And that's, especially on the South Side, it's a, it's a, like a cancerous virus where everyone is incredibly selfish. There is no community. You live in a community, but there is no community. When I was in the military, um, there was community everywhere. No matter what unit I went to, I could go to a brand new unit. There was, there was always community. Right. There were people, you knew people. And you knew pe- friends of friends, and it was a, like a unit of people. And then coming outside of the military, I felt I felt isolated. I felt alone. I lived in a city with millions of people, and I felt isolated and alone. And then yeah. when I, you know, when I did go outside, again, people were just incredibly, incredibly, incredibly lazy. And for me, I was like, God, we have we have such a good thing. Why why are people just like destroying this stuff? Like graffiti right. everywhere, gang warfare, uh, just like nonsense where I would just, I would just stand out at my park and look and go, wow, this is such an amazing park. Why are there no kids at it? Well, it turns out there's four different gangs on each corner. Like, right. well, what the hell, man? You know, so I was incredibly, I was angry that before I left, the neighborhood was relatively quiet. Um, you know, there'd be, there hadn't been, large-scale gang warfare in quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of community-based projects that were, like, keeping things in line and sort of building a community. And then when I came back after four years, it was just all gone. They had burned down, um, our, you know, the main street in my area. I lived in a little place called Hedwish. They burned down three of the buildings there. Mm-hmm. Um Section 8 was everywhere. When I left, there was no Section 8. I came back. Section 8 was everywhere. My neighborhood looked completely different. Like, everything, like everything was dilapidated. People weren't taking care of their lawns anymore. Um, there were broken bottles ev- everywhere on the streets, everywhere on the sidewalks. So, like, little kids couldn't go outside and play. Um, the trash cans were just, like, pushed over. Um, doors and windows were broken everywhere. A bunch of houses were abandoned. I was like, I came back to like, like what I just, you know what I mean? I just left that type of, uh, you know, sort of area when I was in the military and I served. Like I had seen areas like that before. And then I came back to, you know, my home and everything was destroyed. And I mean, legitimately destroyed where like, Stop signs were torn down, and I don't know. And so, yeah, I was angry. I was angry that, you know, in the four years, I come back to essentially a what was a thriving community to a dead community. Right. Yeah. Well, now, um, it, throughout um, you telling your story of getting to how you got to where you are now, um, one of the terms that you've used several times um, has been lazy which um, intrigues me. Um, That is a, well, in in my opinion, um, I would consider that uh, a personal judgment, Um, considering that, you know, we all come from different places and have our own stories and our own um, baggage that we're all carrying. And to assume that in all of these different situations that it was laziness 
um, is a huge assumption. And well, um, I'm talking about observational blatant laziness. So, for example, if somebody is sitting at a stop sign and they throw a full bag of Cheetos out the window, I consider that an act of laziness. Okay. Because they, instead of waiting to just, like, throw it in the trash at home or finding a trash can, uh, the ease, like, if you look at the, the least resistance, the least resistance, meaning the, the least impact on yourself, the easiest thing to do is just throw it out the window. Not your problem anymore. Somebody else's problem. Okay. So I consider then, that an act of laziness. Okay. Well, I would, I would counter that with the fact that, um, so the neighborhood was not what it was when you came back. That, so you didn't grow up in that sort of neighborhood that you came back to. But if you were to go now uh, into neighborhoods that are like that and have always been like that, what you'd find is that there are no trash cans on the street. Um, I've, uh, myself personally, I've worked in um, uh, what they called underserved schools uh, in uh, very, very low-income neighborhoods. And they don't bother to put trash cans on the street. And I'm sure there's some reason, some political reason why those things are done. And so there is no trash can on the streets. So a lot of times people, yes, get used to just throwing stuff on the ground. Um, the people come, that's actually somebody's job. They come around, they clean up the streets eventually. But if the um, taxes that you pay to your government, um, who's supposed to help maintain uh, infrastructure, doesn't bother to put trash cans in your neighborhood because um, you're a low-income neighborhood, then um, for some reason people think that um, that everything should be naturally learned when you are generally a product of your environment. I mean, there's always the nature-nurture uh, situations, but there are literally still today neighborhoods in Chicago where you cannot find a garbage can for 12, 13, 14 blocks. Yeah, but that's uh, – so there's a couple problems there. So so having a trash can um, is – it's irrelevant, right? Because the act is not – I have trash, therefore I need to get rid of this trash. The act is, I have trash. If I throw this trash out, someone else will pick it up, or it something will happen. To, I, I, it's not my problem anymore. See that it's that act of knowingly throwing something on the ground that will become somebody else's problem. That is the issue. So yeah, okay. So if there's a if there's a lack of of, of trash cans, then we should see neighborhoods with lack a lack of trash cans should have more trash. I don't see, I don't see the correlation there because if you take, for example, um, we always had a lot of alcohol drinkers in my neighborhood. So a lot of people who drink beer and a lot of people who drink, um, you know, uh, you know, vodka, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't until I got back that I saw broken bottles, meaning broken bottles were never an issue before. Now broken bottles are an issue. So it's not it, – it, the the issue of, of people throwing bottles on the ground, what's driving that is not a lack of resources. It's it's the type of person 
that's willing to throw a bottle on the ground as wow. opposed to setting it down, right? Or, I mean, even if they were to set it, so even if they were to set it down, or even if the trash was, like, organized, it's like, okay, so if we're, we're all going to litter in the same place. Like, even that I can kind of grasp because, like, I've seen places like that overseas where, like, they don't have a government function to come in and pick up your trash, so therefore the the, the community builds, like, a trash pit. Like, I, I totally... I totally can understand. What I can't understand is you driving through somebody else's neighborhood and throwing a half a can of beer out your window. To me, that's unacceptable. And that that's, I, I don't think that's a, a cultural problem. I think that's just a general problem of people saying, not my problem, see ya, and depositing, you know, their trash in someone else's neighborhood because they don't care. They don't care. Like, people don't even care about their own neighborhoods, right? So what I saw was people caring and then I came back to people not caring. And and what happened was it starts with a little, like I said, a little seed of, of laziness where, um, you know, people no longer start mowing their lawns. And then I come back and, you know, I come back to something that looks wrong. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I don't know. Then we had police cameras everywhere. I was like, what the hell is going on? We never had police cameras before. Now we have police cameras everywhere. There's trash everywhere. There's empty lots which used to have buildings. Right. Um, those, so that's okay, where the anger so came from. The, the anger came from, like, everything I knew in a matter of four years was went backwards a decade, if not more. And 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 I, I still hear you. Um, while I will – I can give you um, the idea of someone throwing a half-empty beer – uh, can out of their window simply because they don't care um, as being a personality trait that um, that there are people who have that. But um, uh, I would still contend that more often than not, um, it's people do what they know. You know, uh, so I know a lot of people who come from low income, um, who come from low income neighborhoods who say that when they went into the military, when they got out of the eight blocks or 12 blocks of their neighborhood that they had generationally lived in for five, six, seven generations. So within that 12 blocks, you know, cousin over here, auntie over here, grandma over there, nobody in their family has moved out of those eight blocks. And generationally, this is what they know. And they didn't know they had other options until they were in the military. The military showed them people who looked like them of color or even of different colors. They had a friend who was deployed in Japan. Um, gave them opportunities to do jobs and have responsibilities, um, even though those jobs and responsibilities were limited as far as you were concerned, as far as your um, idea of who you were and what you should have been doing was concerned for other people who, while I know you don't believe you had um, much, but like you said, when you go to other countries, there are people who have less. There are people yeah. in this country who have less. We have people in this right. country who live uh, at underdeveloped countries um, rates. That's in big cities and also in rural neighborhoods. 
So what I'm saying, what I'm what I'm asking you to open your mind to is that knowing better, someone can do better. But also in these neighborhoods, right, landlords and property owners generally get to do what they want to do. So if someone is low income and say they have an eviction and so someone takes them in and so their landlord doesn't keep the area around the apartment clean, they don't keep up with what's going wrong uh, in the apartment that you live in and you can't do anything about it. Chicago is one of the cities, it's not the only one, but one of the cities where um, the landlord has all the rights. So a lot of times tenants are afraid to even complain, but even when they do, that doesn't mean what they need done is going to be corrected. Okay. No, I agree. So, I agree, and I've, it, been, I've it, been a victim of a bad landlord before. I've okay. had my, my ceiling in my bathroom collapse, and it I hear you. for two weeks. It, and I'm not talking about a landlord. I'm talking about an entire community of bad landlords. They can get away with it. They get away with it because they can. And again, if you have generational um, poverty where everybody you know and several generations grew up in that 12 blocks and that hasn't changed in seven or eight generations, this is all you know. And sometimes it's hard for people to understand that if no one respects the fact that I'm a human being, how do you expect me to respect you as a human being? I mean, to me, um, I can't remember who, who, who coined it, but there's a hierarchy of what you can expect the best of people. And at the bottom of that hierarchy – are the basic things in life. And even though there are people in Chicago who live in, you know, million-dollar uh, condos, townhouses, you know, two- and three-million-dollar, I mean, there have been, been several million-dollar condos built in my neighborhood as gentrification comes. We still have people who live in neighborhoods, like I said, who don't have garbage cans and who um, don't have lights in their stairway. Um, some of them don't have water, um, even though they put in the whole um, system of people should not be being evicted. Um, they are still going through eviction processes, and the judges are doing evictions um, through Zoom. And so they've, they've already said, stop it, but they're still doing it. They're still judges who are allowing landlords to go through the eviction process so that when all this is done, they don't have to go through the trial anymore. They could just put those people out. So I, I think, first of all, I think there's, there's some over, over generalizing happening, right? So like you say there's neighborhoods where there's no, there's no trash cans. So have you asked why is there no trash cans in the, in those neighborhoods? Do we understand the fundamental reason of why there's no trash cans in those neighborhoods? Okay, so is, is for, it because somebody's stealing the trash cans? Is it because trash cans aren't being funded? Is it because uh, somebody knows there's not enough trash cans but isn't doing anything? Um, is there, you know what I mean? Like, are there specifics in in order to solve that problem, or is it just a a general observation of there's not enough trash cans, so therefore there will be more trash? 
Or okay. is it is it they have the same exact funding that every other neighborhood has and there's less trash cans, we should probably figure out why they have the same funding but they have less trash cans. Okay, so you 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 can't assume that I'm the only one who's made that observation or has even brought that up in any sort of community meeting. So what what I will say is it's kind of like uh for me like this conversation is kind of like when um there's a there's a uh, argument about um about a police shooting, you know, and regardless of the color of the person, um the people who are being served by the police officers who get service and protection are always looking for a reason to justify why the unarmed person got shot. Well, but why didn't they just do the, what they those, said? Those aren't, so those aren't related because you're, that you're, you're counter assuming that we haven't had issues with people stealing our trash cans in my neighborhood, which we have had. But the difference is we've we've built solutions to prevent that from happening. Like we've we've implemented. I mean, when you say, okay, when things, you say right? we, okay, when you say we, who are your we? Yeah. So the we starts. So and and this is this is like a whole thing about like how to build a community organization, like an actual not a community organization, like a a, a one hundred five three C or what? No, no, no. I'm with you. So right. it starts with the neighbors, right? So it starts with. Uh, you know, my neighbor coming up to me and saying, Hey man, uh, we're going to use your trash can. Our, our trash can, uh, disappeared. And, um, then, you know, me going or looking in the back and going, well, you know, two of my trash cans are gone. Oh, we only have one trash can back here. What the hell? Uh, so called the other woman. All the woman's like, yeah, somebody has been taking trash cans. So then me walking around the block talking to the rest of my neighbors saying, Hey, uh, our trash cans are gone. Have you guys noticed that any of your trash cans are missing? Followed by us going, okay, uh, the city's going to deliver new trash cans. We're going to spray paint our addresses on the trash can. So that way if somebody steals the trash can uh, and moves it somewhere else, uh, it's going to have our address on it, and we're going to be able to, to try to find it, identify it. Um, so we started that like three years ago, and now in our neighborhood, probably for uh, a circumference of about eight blocks, everybody has their trash cans painted with their addresses on it. That's how okay. that conversation started. Now, this is, this is one example, right? Because the trash cans aren't really a big issue anymore. The big issue in my my neighborhood is metal scrappers going around cutting down people's fences. And, ah. you know what I mean? Like, gates yeah. are gone and stuff. So now, all of a sudden, we're, you know, we're dealing with, with, with uh, people stealing bikes, of course. That's, but that's always been uh, part of my neighborhood. Like, little kids' bikes always get Yeah, not just, not just your neighborhood. I mean, I, I lived in Rogers Park for a very long time. And, um... They literally would go on your back porch and take, um, a, a friend of mine had a, uh, they were, they were redoing the house and they put one of their, um, radiators out on the back porch while they were gone, redoing yeah. their house and they, they came on the back porch and took the radiator. Yep. So yeah, the scavengers yep. in the city and this was like, this is at least 30 years ago. So yeah, the, I mean that's one of the hustles in Chicago. So um, and they come to all neighborhoods and go through all back alleys. Um, that is kind of a universal problem. Um, well, my but, point is it starts it starts with someone, right? right. Because uh, I think if you've lived in Chicago, you're going to learn pretty quick that nobody's going to do anything for you. Like three one one's pretty good though. I, I'll admit, like uh, you know, I we had a light pole fall down and three one got it cleaned up in like two days, which is acceptable in my opinion. 
for how big our city is. Uh, but it, it really starts with like the individuals and in, in, in my community, cause I've, I've moved. I'm, I'm no longer in Hegwish. I moved, uh, to the, the, the southeast side, which is just south of like officially South Chicago. There's a little river that separates us from South Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but people, like I've noticed over here, like, uh, well, obviously until I, you know, I did the whole IC Cyrus thing and started like talking to people, uh, people don't want to talk to each other. Um, yeah. it's everyone else's problem, but their own. Um, so there's a lot of individualism, which is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because it's, it is, if you are, if you don't say anything, but you know about the problem, you're, you're kind of complicit in the problem. Absolutely. In the sense that you have information and you're not saying nothing because you figure somebody else is going to do it. And, and there's in, down by me, that's, that's like, that's our biggest challenge right now is like, we have a huge gang war that kicked off um, in May, and we have random shootings happening every day. And people are seeing stuff, but they're not saying anything. So they're 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 complicit in it. They're part of the problem, not part of the solution, right? Like right. when Nazis, when when the Nazis took over Germany, um, there was a silent wow. majority of Germans who didn't want the Nazis, but they didn't do anything, right? So because they didn't do anything. Uh, they are complicit in what that you know the Nazis ended up doing to Europe. It's the same okay. thing here on a smaller scale. So I'm going to call file. Okay, if you can, if you call file on my police, uh, my police uh, uh, comparison, um, then I really have to call file on the Nazi comparison. Um, uh, that's way too broad and 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 way too big uh, as a comparison. I think. Uh, for the ideas that we're talking about. No, um, they, it was a juxtaposition. It was a, it was a juxtaposition about how a majority of people could be against something, but they're complicit because they don't, they don't stand up for anything or act. So therefore, right. a, a louder minority of extreme ideas can overtake something. So in my neighborhood, um, the gangbangers are a minority group. They are, they're a very small percentage of the population, but they get to do whatever they want, be, large in part because the majority is silent. Right? Okay. So, so my justification was, was to show you the extreme of that. What happens okay. if you just let that faster? So let me, let me use your juxtaposition then. So um, during uh, the Nazis' takeover of Germany, um, what the Nazis did have uh was power. Power, weapons, um, a police force, um, an army, um, and then their own um the the Nazis had their own army and then they started recruiting people as kids. Okay? So yeah, they didn't I mean, wait, they didn't, wait, 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 they didn't have a power originally. Okay. So um, but the the thing is that that is exactly what happens in poor neighborhoods. So, and it's not just happening in Chicago; it happens all over the world. You talk about the gang warfare, and you talk about the people being silent. Well, I mean, I can directly relate that to people who are in poor neighborhoods who um, have complained. And their landlords evicted them. People in poor neighborhoods who have spoken out against the gang violence and got retaliated against because the police don't re- 
protect them. People in their neighborhoods who have tried to get other people in their neighborhoods together to get stuff done, and all they've done is being condemned. All that's been happened to is people go by their houses and throw stuff at their windows, that there are serious consequences in situations, especially if you compare it to the Nazis, there are there are consequences that an average person are not willing to deal with. I mean, people are sheep right now with small and tiny things. But when your life and, that's and your that's family wait, but when your life and your family's life and your safety is um is in um is in danger. And again, I can't remember the name of the pyramid. I mean, those are things that have to be secured before you're able to move above that level, before you're able to do better, not just for yourself, but for the people around you. There are basics that are needed. And once those basics are lost, um, then, no, you can't expect a lot of cooperation. It is in uh, all nature. Of all things, it's to survive, right? So to survive, you need to be indoors. But we're, so we're not. So you can't complain to your landlord. To survive, you know, you can't have a drive-by go by because you spoke to the police, okay? To survive, um, you can't have your kids walking to school and being picked on on their way back and forth because you're trying to get everybody involved in the neighborhood in picking up the trash and making it a better place. Sorry for the brief cutoff of conversations, but again, we're going to continue this conversation in part three uh, of madness during Corona lockdown. I want to thank all of my internet friends for listening. Check back and find out who I'm talking to and what they have to say. This has been Madness, Conversations During COVID Lockdown, produced and hosted by Renee. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please check out our social media on Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you'd like to reach out directly, please send an email to podcasting1968 at usa.com.